0: this morning. Uh, we're coming from the book of Isaiah, fifty-eight chapter of Isaiah, and eleven verse. And eleven verse reads, "And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thine soul in drought, and make fat thine bones." And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. The Living Version reads, And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy you with all good things, and keep you healthy, too. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Here we have a picture of a gardener. We used to stay across what they used to call cross the creek. We used to call it cross the creek. it actually wasn't a creek, but it was a river. It was the Comit River, living in bacon, the Comit River. We had a field, a large acreage property behind our house in which we had different variety of vegetables grown in it. But right next to the house, when we were, when Mother sent us out there, whatever, she have a mustard greens or whatever, she would say in the garden. She distinguished the garden from the field. You think of a garden, you think of a flower garden, a vegetable garden, but something that's small and well tendered, well watered, well manicured, and taken care of. Whereas a field, it's a little bit more wide and a little bit more or less manicured. So we look at the world as a field. Yes. The world being a, a colossal field there. And it says send more laborers into the field. Yes. We need more laborers into the field today. But what how God starts off things, he started Adam and off at in Eve. He planted a garden. God planted a garden that made it distinct from the rest of the world. And he placed Adam and Eve in there to tend the garden. The garden has to be tended. Like I say, it's a little bit smaller. It's a little bit more manicured or whatever. And in that garden, when we think of having a garden or something that's well taken care of, uh, that how can I, there's Instructions There's instruction There's a a way to Be a Good gardener It, It comes with A farmer comes with A husband Adam was Eve's husband Whereas God Would be considered Jesus Christ would be the husband Of us We're children We married to Christ so, there's instructions coming from that husband, or from that head, or whatever it stems from. Wherever it stems from, Isaiah talked about God's people being a garden planted. Garden, God planted a well, garden with chosen, chosen. Uh, How can I say this? A chosen vine. A vine different from the rest of the vines of the field. So we kind of think of him. uh, I don't want to give the idea. I'm trying to stay away from the idea of other people and other things being here before he planted Adam and Eve there. uh, Before he chose his people. Because when he chose his people, he chose his people from another people. He chose them from out of many nations, he chose Abram, he chose the Israel, he t- chose Jew. The people, God's people were chosen people. And that's who he's speaking to in this 58th chapter. But these people that God had chosen, they had went awry. They had went away from God. They had gotten to be just like the rest of the world, a, a field they had. Grown up with all kinds of things in them that shouldn't be in them, and we 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 realize when we read this fifty-eight chapter, and you go back with the scholars, and they were saying that it's bits and pieces; it's a compilation of something that God had said, but through and to the prophet at different times, and that it was put together. I seem to kind of understand that. Now, I see what they're saying. As much as the older preachers are are some of the conservatives would hold us to a more narrow point of view. But the way this starts off, the 58th chapter, these people know how to fast. These people know God's laws. Because it starts off, he says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. Uh, that it cannot say, I'm I'm right at the wrong, it says, cry aloud and spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sin. In other words, come in and show them where they transgressed me, and what they had did wrong. Now we knew in the beginning, in the beginning, there wasn't a law. He had talked with Adam, he had given Adam the instruction. And Eve came in and violated that instructions. And she said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate of the tree. Whereby, when he talked with Adam, we found out that Eve was deceived. In other words, she had received this, but she... Wasn't the one that was held liable in such a stance, but she was held liable to the fact that she hadn't listened to her husband and she had other motivations, the reason she ate of the fruit. But we see where Adam directly transgressed God's instructions. And as I keep, I'm trying to bring this into a context to start off my preaching here because I'm way here in the 11th verse where it says. The 8th verse where we should be saying that the Lord should continually guide and satisfy the soul and draw. But we know because of Adam's transgressions, he had been disconnected away from God. He had been kicked out of the garden. There were stipulations to the ground was going to bring forth. It was cursed for Adam's sake. It was going to bring forth thorns and thistles. But we see where God's offering up an invitation to get back into the garden, to get back into a condition where He could hear God, yes. where God can converse with Him, and He would be reconciled to God. And that's that's what I'm talking to the church this morning. I want us reconciled back unto God, yes. and you can't preach this in just one message. And I've been teaching on it for. Uh, about a month now, and it's, I still have a month to go because, like I say, it's a copulation of things here. The people were fasting, and they wonder why God wasn't listening at their, and honoring them during their fasting or whatever. But they were doing it with the wrong motivations. They hadn't been changed. Their heart hadn't been changed. It wasn't any conviction in what they were doing. That's the first point. The conviction of the spirit. To be convicted. Means. Uh, to be convicted here. That you see you're wrong. You see what you have done wrong. You'll lie, but The indictment has come. And it embraces. Several biblical. Expressions here. About this word. Conviction. He told the prophet to go cry out And warn my people. And tell them about their transgressions. That word conviction comes from two Latin terms, means to cause them to see, or to cause to see, and it says to show them their transgressions. In the New Testament, however, and that's why I say I'm trying to bring this Old Testament precept over into the New Testament. In the New Testament, the use of conviction, that word, it means reprove. To illuminate, to, in, in, like the revelation of Jesus Christ, to give light to, to the illumination, to the communication of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, whereby he causes an individual to see or understand the truth. It gives them the ability to see. Because Isaiah was preaching to a people that God had said that, that they were going to hear, but they couldn't hear. They were going to see and not see. They were go not understand. They weren't going to be able to understand what God had said. And he called those, we, we see where he called those in a previous chapter there. That's why I say it's a compilation. He called them dumb dog, dogs that cannot bark. In other words, you can't warn the people because you don't have a voice yourself. You are not in connection with God. These shepherds, these preachers, they didn't have the ability to communicate what they were saying to the people. And I understand that now, you know. Once before, I was accused of, when somebody said, well, you'll be a good teacher, but you might not be a good pastor or preacher or whatever. God has to make preachers. God fills them with his spirit. And there are too many now that have ran and God had not chosen. Uh, the church when it split after I, after the pastor that had, had uh, called me and I was ministering as he had gotten older and sick and they said I was Mr. Old Testament I stayed in the Old Testament too much and that I didn't teach from the New Testament see but the problem was I was trying to lay a foundation yes. Yes. you know it takes a long time to lay a foundation to The deeper the foundation, the more you can build on it, the stronger the structure. Jesus Christ didn't come to some years and years later. He was the chief cornerstone, and he laid a foundation could no other man lay. That that foundation he laid. But after he laid the foundation, he sent the Spirit. He sent in his name. Now we will get into the Trinitarian aspect of this. God's statement uh, back in the Old Testament should have caused a conviction of urgency to Christians today. I say go back and study the word. They are there for our admonition. They are there for our learning. That's why he, he has that Old Testament there. It's to us who the end of the world has fallen on. And see, that's why we need the old and we need the young. We need the young people in the church also to make us understand because what God had did back then, he had placed man under a covenant, under agreement with him. Adam was under a covenant. They call it the old covenant. And see, that covenant even that God had made with Noah about not destroying the earth by flood again. Who yeah. boy. So God is a covenant God. He makes covenants. And if you don't look, if you look in Jeremiah the 32nd through the 34th chapter, you'll see that's where he made a new covenant through Jesus Christ. Instead of the law, the law was the schoolmaster. He talks about that in Galatians. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to a point in which there would be a new testament. A different way. He was going to take, instead of that way he did it then, he was going to write his laws upon our heart. He was going to write it in the inward man. so the handwriting of ordinances against us, Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled those. That's the second person of the Godhead, the Son. The Son had always been here. He was the word that was made flesh. And came and dwelt in among us, and he was the light of the world. Now it's, it's encumbered upon us to be the lights of the world, and understand that we were, we are under a contract. We broke the contract. What a breaking of a contract is called is a breach of contract. We have breached the contract. Jesus Christ come with a ministry of reconciliation and placed us back in right standing with God, the justification of the saints. He had made salvation possible through him. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Yes. Something I'm preach on next week. We'll talk about that because uh, we're little crisis. We're Christians. So we should walk as he walked and in his image and his likeness as what he did. And Next week, what we're going to talk about is that twelfth verse and it says, "And they shall be of thee, and they that be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou sh- and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of pastured dwelling. I don't know if that's anywhere else in the in the Bible there." The repair of the breach. We want to repair this breach. Remember I tell you Humpty Dumpty was broken. We couldn't put Humpty back together again. We, we couldn't do it. it. It was impossible for man to do this. L- long come Jesus Christ. He does it. He puts us back together. He reconciles us unto God. Justifies us and put us in right standing with God. Because... God had promised in the Old Testament. Listen at what he told Noah during the time of Noah. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is flesh, yet his days shall be 120. Lord, the length of time man would live. You remember they used to live hundreds and hundreds of years. Yes, Adam lived to some 900 and some years old. Yes. But he says... My spirit shall not always strive with man. Living Bible says, Then said Jehovah, My spirit must not forever be disgraced in man. Woefully evil is he, and I will give him 120 years to mend his ways. So we see now that this covenant, this contract that we are in with God, that we had breached. That he given he gave us a space of time, and he exemplified that in the preaching of Noah, 120 years. Noah preached for 120 years. That's what we're to do. We're to continue preaching. We're to proclaim. We make a crowd loud and spare not. We're to tell everybody, repent, repent. You've transgressed against God. And we must have conviction when doing that and getting back to this that we can't do it with conviction. It will not be filled with the spirit of God. It has to be spirit-filled conviction to bring forth godly sorrow, which is not to be repented of. So we see here that the contract is conditional. Conditional. And and that's the problem. Obama signed the bill. President Obama signed the bill by some of these cell phones and with these different businesses with the small writing. And they make out a contract. And when you breach that contract, they say it was in the fine print. It's in there. We don't take time and read the fine print. That's why we have lawyers. That's why we are held to a stronger standard. The preachers and teachers are held to a stronger standard. God tells the king, the rulers of the people, to make a copy of the law, a copy of the book, and keep it and know it. That's what the elders and the older people in the church that I told you we need. We need to know everything that's in that contract. We need to know everything that's in the word of God. There can't be any quarter or anything in the contract, some little fine print, some little, little detail that we've breached, that we've broken, that we don't understand, and now doing to be illiterate and not studying to show ourselves approved, he comes back and say, look, You see this line right here in whatever amendment uh, uh, they didn't attach it to, to some appendix or something that's written in that contract, and you'll find yourself in breach of contract because why? The devil is in the details. The devil is in the details. And that's how we have to live, by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. See, he's giving us a spirit now. He's giving us a way that we would know those things, though. So we have to live by every word that's proceeded out of the mouth of God. Now, he had warned us. He had declared out loud that his spirit wasn't going to always strive with man. That we wasn't going to have his spirit always. He was going to take it away. David cried do said, don't, please don't take your spirit away from me like you did from Saul. Saul was a wretch. Saul was a mess when God took his spirit away from him. That wicked, that evil spirit would come upon Saul and he would attempt to kill David. He would repent. He would change his mind. He was vexed. He was sore vexed. We can become sore vexed. God takes his spirit away from us. That's why when he promised Abraham, that man from the Chaldeans, when he changed his mind, Abraham he called Abraham out and gave him a promise he promised Abraham and Abraham was the father of faith that promise to Abraham was the promise of the spirit I want to capitalize on that promise God's promise of the spirit because he made Abraham father of many nations he chose Abraham because he said he knew Abraham was going to teach his children the laws of God, the, the the what God had required. It wasn't way back to that with Adam because all that, a lot of things that they learned under Adam. But as we progress along, we see Abraham has the promises. Isaac was a type and shared of this promise of God. He was the child of the promise, and we are the promises. We're the ones that that promise has been made to, not just the Jews and the Gentiles, not just that people that he put in this garden, but it's to all nations. It's to all people. We need to capitalize upon that promise and say we are children of Abraham, the father of faith. That promise is to us, to our sons and daughters, and they'll dream dreams and have visions. They will, they will repair the desolate places, all of those places that Israel is bombing and destroying the Palestinians, Palestinians will have. If you read the Bible, you'll see that the Palestinians come in and rebuild. They'll rebuild the waste places. Because why? Of the cortisol that's in the contract. What happens is those that believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they'll be the restorers of the breach. They'll grasp those promises. And the declaration of the gospel contains that same warning that he told Noah to preach unto the people and that he told Isaiah to preach. That warning is within the gospel. John, the 16th chapter, the 8th through the 12th verse, tells us what's going on here. Because, you remember, I told you the Godhead, Jehovah Elohim, is a family. God the Father, yes. and now we heard from God the Son, that is Jesus Christ. Yes. Now, now, we have another person in that Godhead, the essence of God, the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit that, that says the Spirit brooded up on the earth. Yes. The Spirit had brooded up on the earth. Jesus Christ came, and he did depart. He was sent by who? The Father. The Father had sent him to do the job. He accomplished and he did the job. And he went away. He says, now he has to go away. i got to go away. I can't stay here. But I'm going to send another comforter to you. I'm going to send somebody back to you. It's like God had sent that messenger of the covenant, which was Jesus Christ. The angel of the the messenger of the covenant that was in the wilderness. And he he said that you have to follow this God, this spirit God. You'd have heard that in different religions and different, even the Indians would talk about a spirit God. They just didn't know who. I'm like, Paul, now, that unknown God, the God that that you didn't know that you were worshiping, I declare unto you, his name is Jesus. Jesus. Now, Jesus said he was going to send the Spirit back. Listen at this John 16, 8 through 12. He says, And when he has come, he will reprove. And I tell you that word reprove means convict. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. There we are. Judgment. You remember I said? Because he told Noah, My spirit shall not always strive with man. But I'm going to give him 120 years to mend his way, and I'm going to wipe him off the face of the earth, if he don't. He says, because they believe not on me. Uh-oh, when John the Baptist said the Spirit was coming, he says, now these people are going to be convicted because they didn't believe on Jesus Christ. Now, all y'all out there that says that he's not the way, that he says he is the way. No other way. I'm the way, He said. Now they convicted because they believe not upon Jesus. They be, because they believe not upon me of righteousness, he says, because I go to my father. The father said, You sit right there at my right hand. That's a position or a place of authority and power. Your job is done. See, the high priest couldn't just go in there and sit down, he couldn't sit down. They'd have to drag him out of there dead, but by Jesus sitting down here. His work is accomplished. We see him standing up during the book of Acts when Stephen was being stoned. He has his eyes on us. That was a a time of majesty when he seen Stephen being stoned and Stephen looked up into the heavens. Jesus is watching us. He sees what's going on. He says, I go to my father and you see me no more. He says of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And I have yet many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Let's go along and read that in the Amplified. It says, and when he he comes, he will convict the world about the guilt of sin and the need for a Savior and about righteousness and about judgment and about the true nature. You listen at me, Brother Jackson, yeah. and about the true nature of it. Because they do not believe in me, that is, in my message, and about righteousness. That is, about personal integrity and godly character. They were lacking this. We see that in chapter 58. They were fasting and praying and wondering why God wasn't listening. If That's because you hadn't repented. You still, your character is lacking. Your personal integrity was lacking. You hadn't been fully convicted. This is you running a sham here. Some of your preachers, some of your people sitting in the church, and you're sleeping at the wheel. You can't see, you can't hear, and you're about to fall off the cliff. The car is going off the cliff, and he says, Cry loud and spare not. You tell them, Don't let them sit through this. He says, Now, nah, because the ruler of this world, that is Satan, has been judged and condemned. Now, I have many more things to say to you, but you ain't able, you're not able to hear this. I'm trying to break this down a little bit more out of the King James, which is a strong piece of meat for a lot of us, and yes. I'm saying it and amplified in the living. Now, I said to make available. The Spirit is available to all. That's why we come out to declare this aloud, because everybody has a chance or opportunity. Not that everybody will take that chance because it's a choice. Now, if you know of the word or the her of the contract and you've been coming to the Bible studies and listening in church, you know, when I say it's a choice and he says choose life in the book of Deuteronomy, we go back and read and study and you hear where God says you hadn't chose me, I chose you. Now, how is it a choice if he says you hadn't chose him, he chose you? That's not a conundrum to the people of God, but we know that it was said See that a carnal man can hear the word of God, but he can't understand it. God has to illumine that word of God to him. He has to make make it light to his path. But you can't receive that now. Jesus said, "It's too big a piece of meat for you to swallow. I got to feed you with milk first. I got you get you accustomed to eating this before I could give you this ribeye because you'll choke on it. You'll choke on it." And choke on it just like the people that desired meat to eat and he gave them he was giving them bread, that was the substance, but life that was the matter that came from heaven. Yes, Lord. But they wanted meat. He says, We tired of this bread, we want some meat along with it. When he gave them the meat, they choked on it and died in the wilderness a good bit of. It. Now he says in the living, he says, When he come he will convince the world of its sin. Of the availability of God's goodness and of his deliverance from judgment, the world's sin and unbelief. In other words, I'm going to show you where you made a mistake and I'm going to make it just as plain as the nose on your face. I'm going to send preachers and teachers in to break it down in simplicity. As the young people come back and they say, well, they're reading this contract and studying this. And so I say, we need the young and the old. We wouldn't understand some of these things when he says not striving with man. This preaching is some preaching that it takes a lifetime to learn of this Bible, to learn of God. Listen to what Zechariah said. In the 11th chapter of Zechariah, and I can't preach that whole chapter, but it's about him destroying the flock and destroying the shepherds. Verse 7 says, 11 and 7 of Zechariah says, So I, Zechariah... Pastured the flock that was doomed for slaughter. Truly, as the name implies, the most miserable of sheep. It's some miserable people out there in the church. It's some pathetic people out there in the church. And that's why it says he's going to fight against the church because there's a lot of sheep, I mean, wolves out there with sheep's clothing on. Yes. There's a lot of ministers parading as ministers of light, but they're dumb dogs who cannot bark. He says, and I took two shepherds there, the one I call favor, that is grace, and the other I call union, that is bonds, and i broken. Do we see that God's common grace, that restrainer that stands in between man, common grace, that is civility, is being broken nowadays. God's common grace is lifted because salvation of the grace of God that appeared to all men, was enough for them that know to that there was a God. Mm. But it wasn't for salvation. You have to dig deeper and make an application of that. There has to be a death. Unless a kernel of wheat die and fall in the ground, and then we have to dig up our fallow ground. That seed can't fall on just soil that it be, might be rocky or stony soil, We have to continually break up our fallow ground until your garden needs tending to. We pray daily for our daily bread. We pray for his leadings and guidance daily. Lead me not into no temptation. There are ways that you can go that you befall into temptation, but he removes grace and the other staff called union. In other words, I told you, the United States was a split nation. It won't come back together. It's been broken. Humpty is broken. It can't be put back together again. All nations are broken. They've drunken of the wine of God's wrath. Jesus Christ came and he formed the people, a government of God. That was the rock. That was the stone that came down. The stone was that was smote, the miry clay of the world that was smote and was broken. It, it can't adhere itself together again. This can't be one nation under God. It has to be one nation that Jesus Christ forms and makes under his government. The government shall be up on his shoulders. He has to remove shepherd. He has to remove the beast of the world. He's cleaning and purging his garden, getting it ready. And you know, the sheep normally sees when the shepherd goes out there and prepare the place where he'll pasture them. Mm-hmm. In the 23rd Psalm, if you go deeper, he says that he leaded and guided me beside still waters. Yes, And that deeper in there, what the shepherd goes out. You're you're seeing, plus the enemy are seeing the shepherd cleanse the place in which he's gonna feed the sheep, water the sheep, and he gets that pasture ready. And you know he says he lie, I lie it down and have peace. He's gonna give us rest where the lamb can lay down with the lion. We have nothing to be afraid of because. He reveals the mystery of iniquity, which had already had been working when he placed Adam in the garden. Notice Satan was already in the garden? Yes, yes, that garden, what he had planted east and east and Easton, he planted East in, He planted Eden east. and he put that garden, but Satan came into the garden. That's like Satan came into the church. Satan came into the flesh. God was, God allowed him to come in the flesh because why? He was going to condemn sin in the flesh because of that first contract that Adam breached. And he says, from dust you come, to dust you shall return. So we were under a contract. The, the transgression of that contract in those laws condemned us to death. We we're born to die. Man born of a woman is but a few days and of many troubles and problems. So when Satan gets in the flesh, we know flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. To be carnal minded, to be thinking that way or whatever, you must be born again. You must have this new birth. You must have the spirit. And that spirit that was given. Now let me get on my high horses here and hurry up and get out of here. Because I don't know if I'm going to be able to take care of all of this. That's last. On the, the conviction, Second Thessalonians 2 and 7 says, For the mystery of iniquity do it already work, only he who now let it will let until he be taken out of the way. The Amplified says, For the mystery of lawlessness, lawlessness, rebellion against divine authority in the coming reign of lawlessness is already at work, and so. This principle of this spirit's already working in the world. Paul saw that he says, "There's another law within my members working to bring me into bondage, into the captivity of sin and death. Yes. Death work it in you. You could die short as you live. You're born to die. You cannot escape it unless you grasp the promise. Unless you grasp the promise." What was the promise? The promise of the spirit when Jesus Christ says, he who believeth on me. Now, the spirit convicts those that don't believe in Jesus Christ. He who believeth on me have eternal life. It is habit. You'll have it already. So now you may go to sleep. You remember I said sleeping? The word sleep, we speak it, but it's falling asleep. In other words, the saints of God don't die any longer. You remember he took the sting out of death. He took the victory away from the grave. He had given us eternal life. Are your mindset convicting you or convince you, assure you that the promises of God are yay, yea, yea? That is all true if we can comprehend that, that we have life, we have eternal life, we shall not die. You have to walk according to that belief, but the Spirit's gonna lead you and guide you and illuminate and make those truths light to you that you're gonna be able to walk and comprehend. That's why I say, greater works shall you do. That's why I pictured the saints raising the dead. They receive the health. And it says about the bones, he says, and thy soul shall delight and satisfy thine soul and draw. Because if your soul is not continually nourishes, the soul that sinned shall die. But if you feeding on God's word, if you comprehend the promises, he came to save us from our sin, not in our sin. So we're going to pull off the old man and we're not going to continue to sin. That's what removes the death penalty. He says, and make thine bones fat. You know the thing about it as you get older, your bones get brittle. You fool around there and fall when you get older or something. You have to have hip surgery or something. That's because your bones are being more brittle. But he says, I'll be marrow unto your bones. I'll be that thing that strengthens the inner man. The spirit, that's why I said we're born again of the spirit, which strengthens the inner man. (coughs) He says, you'll Be like well-watered gardens. A continually flowing of God's word Word in you does these things. The second point is control. hope Let me not labor these points too long. Control. If we submit a yield ourselves to the spirit of God, as David talked about in the 32nd Psalm, he says, do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, They must be controlled with bit and bridle to make them come to you. In other words, God shouldn't have to bring you kicking and dragging to the kingdom of God. You should voluntarily walk. You should do these things. That's why I say we're not under the law, so we're not trying to keep the Sabbath, but we choose to worship on the Sabbath. We choose to honor God's Sabbath. All of these things is a choice. And that's why I say it's something we have to do. Now you can choose it or you can do like Adam and disobey it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So we will continue to preach the word of God, which strengthens us, which gives us life. Ever increasing faith. Now James says that we must be led by the Spirit of God and it calls for submission. In other words, she says, my people who humble themselves, if they would hear my voice and humble themselves, these are voluntary acts. The book of Romans 8, 14 says, those that are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. It did isn't by you have, have like bridle in your mouth and I have to make you go this way and make you go that way. No, I'm listening to that still small voice within me and says, this is the way. Go therein. You have to be listening for that voice. Yes. You have to be led by the Spirit. This is something that you choose to do. Joseph says, no, I can't do that in sin against God. And he ran away from sexual temptations. You will have a choice, a being. You will be tempted, but the Spirit says, I'll keep you doing the hour of temptation. In other words, there's no temptation that had come unto man that is not... Coming to man. So he's gonna tempt you in ways that would make the flesh come alive, but you have to make a a choice to deny thyself. You have to deny the pleasures and the things of this world. It says, You not kicked, you're not forced, uh, it's not imposed upon you, but this is something that. That is of, of your free moral agency. In other words, now you've been made aware and you know that you you're not being, the devil is not able to deceive you. He's going to open your mind. God's the spirit opens your mind. It illuminates and says, this is the right choice. This is the spirit. That's why I say try the spirit to see whether to be of God. But you have to know the word of God to compare that to, that you're comparing the spirit to. And it's not going to contradict his word, but it's mighty confusing if you don't have the spirit, if you're not praying, if you're not trusting to God, and if you're not dying. Because that law that working in you could consistently keep grabbing for the kernel to the flesh. And it says we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So it's those dark spirits that then came into the church. He says he's going to guide, uh, he's going to tell you or show you. He's going to guide you into all truths. In, in addition, to, they give the d- distinct impression that the followers and hearers will need to do something on their own. And as I said, now we see that this spirit is a man. Yes, It's a he. The spirit has personality because it says he will guide you. He will lead you into all truth. So he says, when he has come, he will convict you. This is a pronoun. You like they use pronoun. That's the new thing about getting rid of pronoun. We well, hear some pronouns. The Holy Spirit is a he. It the essence of what it is is the Spirit of God. But it's a He, it's the third person of the Godhead. You can grieve him. You know, men can get their feelings hurt. You can quench the spirit of God. You can quench a man's spirit. Don't you get tired of telling people something all the time? Your parents used to say, no, "I didn't tell you." Yes. After you tell them, yes. the consequences on them. I tell a lot of people. You know, I call my wife later. I said, "What you eating? What's going on?" I was looking on the phone. Her sugar was dropping. Now, being a diabetic, or being. Going to the doctor and the doctor said you might need to leave this alone. You might. Well, he can't force you to do it. God don't force these things, but not the consequences. Yes. You lose your sight. Yes. You lose a leg or arm or something. Why? Lack in obedience. Yes. I didn't know he was that serious. You remember I said the urgency of what he told Noah that my spirit shall not always strive with man? Well, see, I'm, I'm under the obligation to do just what he told Isaiah. He says, cry loud and spare not. Well, see, once you tell your children, once the preacher tells you and you keep warning them and telling them, you go out there and it happened to you. It's nothing I can do, but the blood's not on my hand. I did what I was responsible to do, and that is make it plain as the nose on your face that there's going to be consequences to those things. Yes. You know, I wish I'd have listened. Yeah, I know you do. But there's nothing I can do to remove those consequences. Jesus Christ came and he removed the consequences. By obedience. Now, you can fall in line and be born again. A lot of people in prison or whatever, say, oh, I was born again. Yeah, but before you were born again, you violated the law. Now they're going to put you to death or you have to stay in prison or whatever. You could be born again or whatever, but the consequences of the sin, some things can't be undone. Now, in the next life, you can, if you grab hold of the promises of God, that's why some people's health get, go beyond repair. Some people have faith to be healed because they line up with what the doctors said. God had sent the doctors. God had sent different people. Well, that's your healing. And some people have reversal of diabetes. Some people's sight's restored. Some people's health is restored. Some are not. That doesn't mean they're not children of God. But the consequences of their lack of obedience is there. Jesus tells his followers about this submission and obedience. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself. That is, set aside selfish interest. It's, I ain't saying it's a sin to play the lottery or do different things or to eat or to do any of these things. But in moderation, I'm not saying don't go out there and get addicted to gambling. I'm not saying it's a sin to drink. But your doctor may instruct you that it's better not to drink. Paul said, all things are lawful for me. But he says, all things are not expedient. That makes me think about that last supper when the disciples offered Jesus the drink of the cup. And Jesus said he wasn't going to drink it with them, But he said he would drink it new with them in the kingdom. Now, you see, he was going to abstain from it then. He was going to deny that. But then he says he's going to drink it new in the kingdom. Yes. He puts preachers in different ones under prohibitions of not being a drinker, but he says the deacon can drink a little bit. So I'm not preaching teetotaling. He says, give wine to those that are perishing. Now, if you're under the impression or thought that you were perishing, like I had a friend, I told you, Mr. Brown, and I used to buy him fifths of liquor. It was passion, he had inoperable cancer, was it pancreatic, or colon, but it went into stage four, well, giving him some mighty strong painkillers or whatever. <clears throat> now with the cancer victims and a lot of them, they have passed medicinal marijuana and different things of marijuana. But if you just want to be addicted to marijuana and the smoking of marijuana and getting high or whatever you remember I told you that little thing called motive yes. you see that's what was lacking in the people that were fasting and praying why are you doing it for what reason are you doing do you have the right motives is your motive right yeah. Joseph brothers and things couldn't come back and say oh you wouldn't have been in Egypt all oh, this wouldn't have happened to you if we hadn't sold you in slavery But Joseph told him, said, No, God turned it to good. You meant it for evil. Your motive wasn't right. Your heart wasn't right. Don't come trying to capitalize on something that happened to me good and you didn't did wrong. You was trying to hurt me. That's what David was praying to God. My enemies are trying to hurt me, but you be my reward. You watch my back because Jesus had told me to love my enemies, despitefully those that come to my house last night saying he want a sandwich. He want something to eat. And I was giving him the same thing I had to eat. He said, but I don't eat food from anywhere or anything. I need the money or whatever. Well, beggars aren't to be choosy either. You can mosey on down the road if you can't eat what I'm eating. But I was willing to feed him. I've given him money on occasion, but I was willing to feed him. It's a choice. It was his choice. Making these choices. So he says, take up your cross that is expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come your way. And follow me, there is believing in me, conforming to my example, and if need be, suffering or perhaps even dying. We don't know what is going to be required, but in building this house, you may have to suffer. Yes. You may lose your life. That's that's in God's will. Yep. He's Jesus says, nevertheless, thy will be done. That's what we're looking at. God's will be done. But we have to deny self. Paul said, I buffet my body. I die daily. Whatever it needs to hear that spirit, I don't want to grieve the spirit. I don't want to quench the spirit. You remember God says unless he eat and eat of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever, I don't want to live in a state of duality of knowing good and evil. I want to live in a state of knowing God and God on. For Jesus I live and for Jesus I die. So I want the old man to die. I want to put him to death and I want to do that. What have me continually being a living wa- in a living water and garden. He says, he who believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. See, I'll be able to give that to others and I'll continue to live. That will come from us. Yeah. We're born again of the Spirit. The Spirit that's come and dwelling us and leading God us a continual. Well, listen that what it says. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in droth. Whenever people are not in church or hearing this word, whenever they are in church and can hear this word, he'll still feed you. You'll hear the word. You'll be able to understand it. You'll hear the voice of God because he's going to live and dwell in you. He's going to make abode with you. He's going to lead and get, do you believe that? The third point is continual guidance. The personality of the Spirit is going to come and make a home there. That's the third person of that God here. It's equal with the Father and the Son in essence. The Spirit is equal. They're all in essence the same because Jesus Christ was begotten of God. See, that's where a lot of people that celebrate Christmas and all of these things, they are at. See, because Jesus Christ, the son, has always been here. He wasn't born. That's why the scripture says the son was given. He gave of the world of his only begotten son. Why do they say his only begotten son? That's because deity comes a begotten of deity. You have to take deity from within deity. You can't birth deity because deity is eternal. Jesus Christ says, I am. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He was here before Abraham. He was here with God. He was here in the beginning. He was the word that was made flesh. He was made flesh. He made a man. So if he was a man and can be faithful and obedient to God, so can we. He was our example. Follow him. But if he was God, if he was a God man, we can't do what a God man does. Now we can do what a man that believes in God, that's begotten of God, that has the full measure of the Spirit. See, the Spirit was poured out upon him without measure. But he was a man because he was able to die. He was on the boat sleep. He was tired. He hungered and he ate. So he was a man. And as a man, we are to overcome. That's why he came to show us As a living example, if you believe and trust in God and have faith in God, you'll do just the same thing I do. The works I do, you'll do, and greater works I'll do. He was continually submissive to God. He says, not my will, if if it's any other way, but thy will be done. Thy will be done. The scriptures clarify ascribing the attributes of Jesus. So it says, he says, I will pray to Father and he shall give you another comforter yes. that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. Do you believe that spirit abides within you now? Yes. Do you believe that spirit will be with you forever? Yes. Now the world cannot receive it because it seeth him not and knoweth him not, but you know him. Oh, yes. Can that? go that pronoun again? You know him for he dwelleth in you and will be with you. So, do you believe that he's given you of the Spirit? That's the promise. He sent the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the Father upon us. And that's the Spirit. He says, he'll guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak. He will show you of things to come. The Spirit of God Comes and he will guide us into a full and complete truth. As we obey him, we get stronger and stronger by assimilating the word of God that he gives us through actions, by being a doer of God's word. Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Spirit and will kill. No liars are in into the kingdom of God. If you lie, you need to quit lying. The Spirit's going to convict you of that, it's going to reprove you on that. That's why I say the Spirit has sent you to turn you from your sin. Yes. Once you start receiving this truth, you start laying aside the weights and sins that's besetting you. That's why you get strong. Your spouse knows whether you're walking in the Word of God. Yes. Your brothers and sisters and relatives know whether you're walking because they, those straps are coming loose. The anointing is breaking the yokes. It removes you from bondage. That spirit breaks the yoke. And Jesus come to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. Now, I can teach you, but I can't impose knowledge upon you. You have to pray to God for knowledge and understanding. You have to pray to God for wisdom. Now, he's not going to hear the voice of a sinner. We know that he hears not sinners. So in conclusion, what has to happen? You have to die to self. It has to be self-denial. You have to repent of your sins and turn around because the promise is here, but it's conditional. There are certain things within that contract that we have to do. Submission, that means yield ourselves unto God. Resist the devil. That's when we start seeing the devil flee. The conviction of the Spirit is a strong persuasion of belief that I've been wrong, I'm broken, and I need you to heal the bones that your your preaching has declared unto me. I hated to hear my father, my brother, my mother, or whoever tell me this. It's a hard truth. When Jesus spoke, he says, you must eat of my body and drink of my blood. He said, this is a hard truth. Who can receive it? See, because a lot of people are not going to want to lay down the things of this world. They love the world and the things thereof. But the Spirit convicts them of sin. It's the act of convincing a person of error or compelling them to follow the admission of truth. And that's where blasphemy is. is to deny the truth. is to go against the truth. That's why those that blaspheme in the Holy Spirit... They say, I can live this way and still in, inherit the kingdom of God. Those that blaspheme the Holy Spirit shall not. That's the sin that's of unforgivable sin. Because you have to line up with the truth. You have to walk in the truth. You have to be of the truth. That's why it says, learn of me. Take, Deny yourself. Die to self. These are pleasures and things all my life. My parents, my relatives, friends, acquaintances, the preacher and all of these people have told me, but now this spirit has come in and start showing me of where I were wrong at. What all I've done, now I'm undone and I need you to come in. My bones have been broken. I need you to repair me, God. I need you to bring me back and make me whole again to enjoy salvation, to give me that inner peace and that inner joy that you talk about. When that becomes a reality in you, it's the Spirit, it's the only thing that can make that a reality. He does his job. The Holy Spirit comes in, and that Holy Spirit is magnified in you. That's the power of God. It's by my Spirit, not by power, not by might, but by his spirit, he's sending a promise. When Jesus came back, he says, I send the promise of my father unto you. Yes. But he had told him that Thomas wasn't there when Jesus came. But he came back and heard it because he was a doubter. But J- Jesus says that go back in, to Galilee in terror to you be endued with power on from on high. Have you been endued with that power from on high yes. that gives you a new mind, that gives you a new set of beliefs to where you can think as God thinks and walk as God walk? Heavenly Father, help us, Lord.